Take your Bibles and turn, please, to Revelation 21. Actually, this morning we come to the very last part of the Revelation, the very last of what John saw when heaven opened to him on the Isle of Patmos, a journey we started a long time ago. Now, there is yet the conclusion that begins in chapter 22, verse 6. We have a few things to look there, but the revelation, what John saw, will be complete. Beginning in verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending not from heaven but out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The rest of the passage we'll look at as we just move paragraph by paragraph you know, last Sunday we talked about the question, what is heaven like? Today, our text carries us to ask the question, what does heaven look like? And what is the significance of that? You've heard it since you were a little child. Streets of gold and gates of pearl. Oh, they tell me of a home far beyond the sky. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Do you know that song? You do, don't you, Edna? Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of the unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home. See, the songs of a generation ago were filled with the truths that are contained. There's no night. There's only light. There's an unclouded day. I will meet you in the morning just inside the eastern gates. How many of you remember that song? I will meet you in the morning. I could go on and sing those for you all morning. But uh, the, the songs taught us about heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. But today I want you to take a look at the whole thing. Heaven represents God's joyous and God's pleasures prepared for his overcomers. After all, when Jesus went away from his disciples, what did he say to them? I go to prepare a place for you. And there must be something significant. The songs tout it. Jesus promised it. The hope of every believer enthralls it, promotes it. Here is this picture of heaven. What does heaven look like? Suppose I gave an arm signal and Tony put down all the lights in this building 
and we had arranged from way up in the penthouse for a crystal translucent model of this church building to be lowered in which every piece of that model both absorbed and then reflected back light. It was glorious. And as it fell down from above, the light captured our attention and our senses and our hearts. You know, that's curious to me. That's what happened to John. All the raging of the kings is done. All the battle of the serpent is over. And John says, you won't believe what I saw. It was a translucent, glory-filled, reflective model of heaven came down from above, out of heaven, and the glory of God filled everything John saw. And he was so struck with it. I want to describe it to you as I think John described it to us. That's what I do when I look at a great picture. First, I sweep over it and see what captures my attention first. Well, there are five things that capture John's attention about this great picture of heaven. I want you to see them. The first thing, I think, was the gates. Something struck him because that's what he mentions. Verse 12, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And there were 12 angels at the gates. Something about those gates just arrested John's attention as he saw heaven come down. And there was an angel at every gate. An angel, the scripture says. And in verse 13, three on the east, three in the north, three in the south, three in the west. Aren't you glad that God is a God of order? God does everything in order. You laugh at me when I want to straighten up the flowers because they're an inch and three quarters off to the left. And I come in every morning to make sure that the center of those flowers is right where that microphone is. I'm not an obsessive composer. I don't think I am. Am I not? But uh, now and then. But God is a God of order. If I see a pillar in a house like this, I want to straighten it out. That's the first thing I want to do. Everything about heaven is perfectly ordered and perfectly symmetrical and perfectly and decently clear exactly as God wants it. And in verse 21, we see something else about those. The 12 gates, look at this. This is what I think captured his attention. Were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was not many little pearls, cultured pearls from Japan's oysters. It, each gate was one whole oyster, I mean, uh, one whole pearl. I love oysters. You like oysters? I love oysters. I love, anyway, broil them, fry them, dip them, bake them, raw them, juice them. Anyway, I love oysters. But anyway, pearls. Twelve pearls. I think when he saw heaven come down, the light was so reflected off those pearls that John was struck by that. I don't think the point of pearls has anything to do with how valuable they are. And they're very valuable. I went to, to buy Shirley a birthday gift one time, and I went into the jewelers. I said, show me, I want the real thing. He showed me the real thing. I said, give me a whole strand of those. I said, now how much is it? <laughs> I said, uh, 
You better put those back. Now, now what's my next choice? <laughs> Pearls. Now, listen to this very carefully. This will be an insight that will help you. I struggled with this for many years. What practical value would there be in showing us what heaven looks like now? Now, I want you to learn something about prophecy. Till now, every symbol of prophecy pointed to the future. Now, in heaven, there is no, that is the future. And every symbol of heaven points to something in the past. And if you understand that, now everything makes sense. Listen to me carefully. How is a pearl made? Most every child here knows how a pearl is made. A piece of sand gets under the shell of that oyster, and the oyster secretes this juice. Uh, there is a formal name for it. It's Crustinopolis semipole uh, uh, or something. I don't know. I just made that up. Uh, but the oyster secretes this fluid around that sand and it keeps irritating the oyster and more is secreted and more is secreted layer after layer after layer until the brilliance of an irritant becomes a joy and a pleasure and something valuable. I don't want to be too spiritual about this, but folks, I don't think that God put pearls up there just so we could say that God was rich. I think they have a meaning. And I'm going to tell you what it is. I think the gates whereby we enter say, come, Pat, you've been through enough. Come on, Chris, you've been through enough. You've had the irritant of temptation and the irritant of trial and the irritant of suffering and the irritant of pain. And I have taken your pain and made something beautiful. And every time you look at that gate and you see that pearl, remember that you're an overcomer and I brought you through it all. Because in heaven, the symbols of prophecies, uh, the symbols are prof about what God did in the past. Now we understand what Paul meant when he said that our temporary suffering works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Every time you look at that pearl, remember that the things that irritated you and tried you and tempted you and put you through pain and sorrow are now covered with the joy and the pleasure and the blessing of God. And they stand representing that we enter into heaven with much suffering and pain. And that irritant was turned into a thing of beauty that is an eternal reminder to us of the goodness and the power of God. Secondly, what else did John see? If there were in these, the 12 tribes written, verse 12, note the wall. Let's look at the wall. Verse 14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now watch right here a minute. If the 12 tribes are in verse 12 and the 12 apostles are in verse 14, this is why we concluded that throughout that book, whenever 24 elders were mentioned, they're speaking of all of God's redeemed representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The names of the tribes are on the gates and the names of the apostles are on the foundations of the wall. Verse 14. 
And then he goes out to give you how God laid it out. See that in verse 15? He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. Now the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. 144 feet high, 1,500 miles on each side. If we could measure it in our terms, it would stretch from Maine to Florida, or it would encompass all of Great Britain, all of Europe, Spain, Portugal, half of European Russia, 1,500 perfectly symmetrical, showing God's order. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall were adorned, if you please, with all kinds of precious stones. Now look at them. These names in the Greek and the Hebrew are not quite what they are in English today. But you can see them. Jasper, sapphire, the Greek word is literally chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. So there are on the foundations all of the stones 24 elders. And when that city dropped down with the names of the tribes on the gates and the names of the apostles on the foundation, can you imagine the striking beauty and color of it all? God took the azure blue sky, the deep blue of the Caribbean, the brilliant gold of, a, of an August sunset, the crystal white of a January snowstorm, the lush emerald of a verdant meadow, and he blazed it all with his glory and said, now John, look at it. That's what heaven looks like. And, and now let's, let's ask ourselves, what is the significance of the names? Now, I want you to hold your hand here and go back to Exodus chapter 28. And in Exodus 28, you have the story of the making of the priest's clothes. And when they made the, the Old Testament priest's robe, he had an ephod in verse 6, made out of blue and purple and scarlet thread. Verse 7, it had two shoulder straps joined at its two edges. And then look in verse 9, take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of the tribes on the one stone and six names on the other stone according to their birth. And every time the priest put on that ephod, he carried the burden of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved in a brilliant onyx stone on his shoulder strap.
a reminder that the purpose of the priest was to carry the burden of the people to God. And when the light shined on that gem, the brilliant light would reflect back through those names saying by God, I have your name on my heart, God says, through the ephod. I have your burden on the shoulders of my priest. And when those names are on the gates and those names are on the foundations, God is saying, I still have your name on my heart. At the foundation of my wall is the church, the bride of Christ. And on the gates is the church, the bride of God, redeemed Israel in the Old Testament. He carries your name and shines his glory through your name, through your name. And so these jewels, under great pressure, over a long period of time, are placed in heaven to remind us that God's glory shines on us for all eternity. All eternity. I uh, was working a little bit on my, on my patio yesterday. <clears throat> they said you need to clean it every now and then and then put some concrete sealer on it. So I got Gary Collins' uh, high-pressure cleaner, one of those babies that blows 3,000 water at 3,000 pounds per square inch. Cut your toe off in a minute if you get it in the wrong place. And I'll tell you what, I never felt like Rambo quite so much as with that thing in my hand. I went in, you know, several years ago, I talked about how a baseball cap could change a personality. And not long after that, the staff gave me a, a cap, and they had, uh, what, did, what was it you had printed? What was it? Magnum. It had Magnum on it. And I got that blue hat, and I get it out. That night, Gary Chapman said, when I put on a hat, I just look and feel like Gomer Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what happens to a man when he puts on a ball cap. It's amazing what happens to a child when they put on a cap. I wanted to go get my Magnum cap and put it on. I felt like Rambo 7. I, anything I touch, and you wouldn't believe, you work down that patio and you can see the line, the dirt. It just goes right into the surface and cleans that thing off. And I was going over and over the spots trying to get out all the pollen. And my wife said, you don't have to clean it all up, she said. Leave a little bit of character showing. <laughs> She said, I want it to look old. I said, honey, you asked me to clean it. Yeah, but I want it to look old. Well, how am I going to clean it and make it look old at the same time? Leave those spots a little character. Boy, as I was ramboing my way down that patio, I thought about how God is at work in my life and your life. And he's building character. And brother, we got some spots till we get to glory. But when I get to glory, all the spots are going to be gone. And nothing will happen but the glory of God shining in me back out through me to the whole world, the wall. John saw something else, however. In verse 18, he said, The construction of the wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. And then in verse 23, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. And the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in it. And the kings of the earth 
shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. Verse 21 zeroes in. The street, not streets. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The next thing that caught John's attention was the gold. The shining gold. And everywhere he mentions it, he says pure gold like clear glass. Verse 21, pure gold like transparent glass. Now, Folks, there's only one way that gold can be purified. You put it under intense heat and get all of the, in, uh, the, uh, the, the trash and all of the impurities out of it until it is just absolutely pure. God is saying heaven is when I have finally finished my work and removed all the impurities and I've removed all the sin, and there are no marks left, just pure gold. I don't think God wants to tell you how rich he is by that. I think he wants you to enjoy the glory of perfection and maturity, which is ours when we come to him. But there's something else here. Now listen to this. Everything in that city is designed to reflect light. Can you imagine full of stones, everything reflecting the brilliance of the light which comes from God? And God is saying, that's what I want from you on earth. Folks, the purpose of the church is not just to win souls to Christ. That's not even our end. The purpose of the church is not just to build people up in Christ. That's not even our end. The end of everything in the believer's life is to bring glory to Almighty God. It is to reflect His glory. Make it your goal not just to be a soul winner, but a soul winner who reflects the glory of God. Make it your, go your goal not just to worship, but make sure your worship reflects the glory of God. The question about our worship is not what kind of preaching do we have, not what kind of music do we have, it, not what kind of praying do we do. Does all of that bring and reflect the glory of God? If it doesn't, it is not what God desires. For throughout all eternity, heaven, the city of God, which is the bride, the scripture says, shall just reflect and shine out and illumine the glory of God. I have no glory of myself. That is why the apostle Paul said, I will not glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have any glory. Calvary Baptist Church doesn't have any glory of its own. Did you know that if God wanted to, he can remove the body from this building and this building could be a restaurant just like that? Somebody said, I want to take you to a great restaurant down in Atlanta one time. They carried me to that church. You know that? What, what is that church has been turned into a restaurant? And I thought, oh my goodness, can you imagine any church building is just one heartbeat away from becoming a restaurant? Now, if it's got to be something else, that's not bad for it to be, amen, if it's a good one. <laughs> but uh, 
Can you imagine? There's no glory in this building of its own. But everything that happens here is to reflect the glory of God. And heaven is the ultimate of that. Everything in heaven is translucent to catch and throw back the glory of God. If I could just do that with my life, every song that I sing, every verse, every act of kindness, every act of love, let it bring glory to God. The question is, does that loss, does winning that lost soul bring glory to yourself or glory to God? What God is interested in is that every created thing reflect his glory. The heavens sing the glory. Nature reflects the glory. Christians reflect and illuminate the world, the dark world, with the glory of Almighty God. Everything is to reflect the glory of God. How can that be? Verse 23, look at it. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. I love verse 24. And the nations of the world shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth. Now, who are these? They're those who are saved, shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. And its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there is no night there. And you know why the gates can be left open? Because all sin has been relegated to eternal Hades. And you can leave the gates open. And everybody comes in and out. And there's no sin because it's all in hell. And the light is the glory of God and the Lamb. And there's no night there. And you never have to shut the gates to protect yourself. And the saved nations of the earth... And the kings of the earth all bring their honor and glory. Anybody who ever had honor and glory here brings it all to God. It's all there. And I think this is just a hint that there is a social order in heaven of activity by which we relate. If you connect this message with last Sunday's message, you understand what I'm saying. The kings of the earth and the nations of the earth bring their glory. And outside of heaven, there is no glory or authority. It's all centered right there in God. And he is the light thereof. The purpose of every believer in this room is for your life to reflect the light of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what Paul says in Corinthians the purpose of your life, the purpose of this church, the purpose of every activity. We don't take children to carowinds because we want to get them out of your hair. We don't take children just to, to carowinds because we think this is a good activity and we need to help them waste the time over the summer. We take children to carowinds so that we can work in their lives, lead them to Jesus, teach them about God so that they can give glory to God. If that is not our purpose, forget it, folks. Everything we have and everything we are is to reflect Reflect the translucent glory of God, limited as it is in our lives now, full as it will be in heaven. We are to give glory. And the scripture says in verse 27 that this glory is an unhindered glory, an unhindered light 
there by no means enters into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that beautiful? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. And look at this. No more curse in verse 20. 20 uh, uh, 20, uh, what, 20, whether, wherever it is. No more curse and no more defilement. And no more night in verse 25. No more defilement. We noticed about a week ago that everybody in our neighborhood was setting all their junk and their trash out on the curb. City of Winston-Salem's got a program whereby they pick up now all your junk that they don't normally pick up. You have one crack at it one week. And I never saw such stuff in all my life set out on the, on the, did you? I mean, that was incredible, wasn't it? They had all, I mean, some people had piles of mattresses, old beds, shells, junk. And we were driving by now. We don't have a basement. We had so much problem with a basement in the old parsonage over a Pine Bluff Road. When we built our house, my wife said, I don't want a basement. Now, we pay for it. You ought to see our garage. It looks like uh, the storage shed for the goodwill. But, but we give away all of our junk, I mean, all of our treasures to our kids. <laughs> and uh, and we, we get a truck, borrow a truck once in a while and make a haul to the, to the dump. And we, we came down, we were sitting, we, we came down from home, I guess it was last, I mean, came home from church last Sunday night, and Shirley sat there and she said, you know, I feel bad, I, what, what can I put out on the curb? <laughs> I said, honey, this is not the Salvation Army, you're not under obligation, you don't have to throw anything away, it's okay. If you don't put anything out, it's okay. The next day, we watched as people came by with their trucks going through all that junk. And here's a man and a woman in an old pickup that looked like uh, uh, Jeb, you know, what's his name? Uh, Hollywood. What, what? Yeah, Clampets. They looked like the Clampets. And they had picked up this stuff. Oh, washers. I'm sure they wouldn't run. Stuff piled way high. And, uh, and Shirley said, well, when I came by, a guy was going through Helena Craft stuff out there. And Alina stood out there giving him the evil eye. Get out of my junk. This is my junk and I'm... And so the guy got the famous Helena Craft evil eye. Leave my junk alone. <laughs> and he got scared and he quit searching her junk and left. And I thought, boy, the houses are going to be clean now. Everybody has done. I never saw such a collection. And you know, some people would go out there and pile it neatly on top of each other, make sure it was all in nice order. And they came along with this great big truck and this great big crane and this guy sitting up there and these giant jaws. You know, like one of those machines where you put a quarter in it and you try to get the crane over it. You drop it down, try to pick up a little teddy bear with uh, glowing eyes in the dark. And, and this big junk thing just reached down. These people work so hard, make their neat piles just... And I thought, you know, there'd be no more cleaning out in heaven, no junk collection in glory, no garbage pickup, because there's nothing there that defiles. 
Now, what does he mean? Anything which defiles, any sin which is an abomination to God, wherever it is in this age or that, hinders the reflection of the glory of God. A hidden sin keeps God's glory from shining through us. An unconfessed sin keeps God's glory from shining through us. Do you understand why sin defiles? It hinders the reflection of the light of the glory of God. That's why God hates sin. It hinders his whole purpose of shining out his glory through the world. And there is one last thing John saw, a river and a tree in verse 1 of chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Everything, everything, even the river is clear as crystal. Do you ever turn your canoe over in the Yadkin River after heavy rain? Man, you come out feeling like you've just been to the uh, Beaumont Salon with a mud pack because you're covered with it. <laughs> but the river in heaven will be a clear crystal river. You can see to the bottom. I love the Caribbean Ocean because you can go out in the eight, nine, ten feet of water and look straight down and see everything. And I never get in that water, but what I don't think, that's what the river of the water of life will be like. Clear. Nothing to hinder the reflection and the illumination and the multiplication of the glory of God. And in the middle of its street, one street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life growing on both sides, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the people. I'll tell you what, you're going to eat in heaven. It may not be fried scallops, but you're going to eat in glory. Because God provided a river and a tree for our nourishment. The angels who came down with Abraham ate. He fed them by, under the oak tree. And Jesus in his resurrected body on the Sea of Galilee, what did he do, class? Do you remember what he did? What did he do? He ate fish. Now, he didn't eat a filet mignon, but he did eat fish. <laughs> and so whatever is signified by that, it must mean this, that God is reminding us he is totally adequate for all that we need in heaven and we'll be totally satisfied. To he will sustain life. And verse 4 says, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. <laughs> they shall see his face. Fanny Crosby spent her whole life blind. She never could see her family. She never could see anyone. And she wrote a song. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, I shall know him. I shall know him. I will know him by the prints of the nails in his hands. We sing a great song face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, oh, can it be? Face to face.
Can you imagine what Scott O'Grady felt like when he saw those men on that helicopter? And he ran for the helicopter. And he said, I'm alive, I'm alive. Let's get out of here. Can you imagine when he saw the face of someone who meant rescue and hope? So we shall go on singing until that day when the model that John saw dropping out of heaven becomes a glorious reality. I don't think there's any way to describe it except to see what John wrote and try to translate that into the eyes of the soul to something that will be meaningful for us for all eternity and for all time and forever and ever. In 1916, the Habsburgs had reigned over Austria for 600 years. And Franz Joseph I died. And it was the last of the pomp and ceremony of the great Habsburg. Some of you have been to Vienna. Maybe you've visited the palace there. And so they went through the normal burial. Down in the bottom of that monastery, there's a huge iron gate that opens its way into the crypt for the Habsburg family. And uh, when an officer of the army led his coffin to that gate, he cries out at the bottom of the stairs of the monastery, at the great iron door, he cries out, open, open. And the cardinal the arch of the archdiocese says, who goes there? And the soldier, this has been repeated many times through the centuries, we bear the remains of his imperial majesty and apostolic majesty, Franz Joseph I. By the grace of God, emperor of Austria, king of Hungary, defender of the faith, prince of Bohemia, Moravia, grand duke of Lombardy, Venezia, Strigia, and then mentioned 37 titles that he had. And the cardinal said as a part of the ceremony, we know him not. The officer spoke out again and said, open. And the archdiocese cardinal said, who goes there? And this time the officer used an abbreviated title, but still was quite boastful of Franz Joseph. And the cardinal said, we know him not. And one more time the officer said, open. And the cardinal said, who goes there? And the officer said, we bear the body of, of Fra our brother Franz Joseph a sinner like us all. And the cardinal said, come in. And the doors swung open. And his body was planted and that, that was the last of the ceremonial barriers of the Habsburgs. But you know, as I look at that city that John sees coming down out of heaven from God and I see those gates, there's one truth whether you're rich or poor, educated or not educated, whether you serve God three years or 103 years, friend, those gates are open to everyone who comes as a sinner, repentant, confessing by faith to the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you, I think I'd want to go to heaven just to be with all God's people. Amen. 
we all get straightened out. Never again will I have to deal with temptation. Never again will I have to deal with my things I need to be overcoming. Never again we'll stand in perfect maturity and perfect holiness and there because we'll be in perfection in the glorified body where the streets are gold and the gates are pearl and the foundations are jewels of all multiple reflecting multiplying colors. There is nothing to keep the glory of God from being reflected by all of us and everything there. Because having come as sinners, we have been cleansed and purified and given a brand new body to perfectly reflect what we're trying to do now, the glory of God.